this time, we're going to have our Brother Reed come up and share with Lord's Lord his heart this, for tonight. Appreciate the messages so far. I don't know about you, but they've been a challenge in my life. And I know at least a couple of you have already said to me that they've been a challenge for you as well and have been something that you needed. So we look forward to what the Lord has for tonight. All right, very good. Well, let's go and take our Bibles and go back to John 15. We're going to be there again uh, this evening. And so let's all turn there. Uh, pardon me if tonight I get a, a lump in my chest. Um, man, I eat too much right before the service. And I have a, really pro a real problem of doing that. Uh, and, and I keep telling myself, okay, uh, don't do it this time. And then I look at the meal and it's like, wow, that's so good. And I did it again tonight. So every once in a while it gets hard to take a full breath because I ate too much. Uh, I was telling Walter, I was at a church back in, uh, back in May where a, a guy at the church learned that I liked sushi. And he's like, I want to take you out for all-you-can-eat sushi. I said, that sounds great. He said, we're going to go before the service. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound so great. But we, we went anyways. And I'd never been to an all-you-eat sushi place. And what I found at this particular place, it was not only all-you-could-eat, but it's you better eat whatever you order or else you get charged for what you don't eat. I didn't, I didn't realize that was a thing. And uh, so, like, anything, and so, you know, I just ordered, 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 ordered. They bring it all out there, and by the end of the meal, we're all sitting back. There's, like, four of us going, okay, who's going to take the last piece? And so I got to the church, and, man, I was full, and I told the church, I said, man, if I start preaching in Japanese, just blame it on the sushi. It's just coming out. But I didn't eat that much tonight, but I feel it a little bit. So just bear with me if I, uh, I shouldn't have eaten that last biscuit. That's what it was. It was the last. I looked at it, and I said, I shouldn't, but I, I did it anyways. Okay, so are you ready now? Are we all warmed up? Uh, we're going to be, again, in John 15. We looked at, la last night, looked at the first three verses as Jesus is introducing to us this topic, this illustration of him being that main trunk from which all life flows from. And he says that the very first phrase in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. We skip over that so quickly, at least I often do, when you think about that, he is, in those few words, he is declaring a message that the rest of the world has denied because they're always looking for some other place to find life from. And Jesus says, it's simply found in me. And we looked last night of how our father is the husbandman and how we as the branches need, because of bearing fruit, we need the process of cleansing and pruning. And now we're going to jump down to verse 4. We're going to read, uh, work through tonight verses 4 through 8 as the, as the timing allows. Uh, but we're going to be dealing with the topic tonight. So what does it really mean to abide? Look with me in verse 4. J Jesus, continuing to speak, says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be 
my disciples. In those five verses that we just read, clearly Jesus is trying to get a point across as he's challenging his disciples, he's commanding them, and us, and by extension, he's also commanding us, abide in me because I'm in you. Now, is there anybody in this auditorium that has ever found yourself being confused by what it means to abide? Anybody, anybody like that? You, you, sometimes you wrestle like, so what does that look like? Or how do I do that? And, and there certainly seems like there's a lot of power present in this verse. I mean, he just talks about the fact that if you're not abiding in me, there's no fruit that bears and only from me comes fruit. And if you abide in me, you can pray and get answers in prayer. And it certainly sounds like in those five verses we read, man, there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of life there. And I want to get that power and I want to tap into that life. Well, that power is not just some battery-charged system where Jesus is saying, I want to give you some new power to live life, as much as he is saying, I'm in you, and therefore I am power in you, so I want you to have a relationship with me. See, too often we look at passages like this and we say, wow, I want the power that comes from Christ when Jesus is saying, yes, I want to give you power, but the power comes from Christ. In other words, don't just look for the power, look for me. He, the reason he can say to us, command us to abide in me is because he's telling us, I am in you, which is where the power flows from. So if we need power in the Christian life, it's only going to come through Christ. He says it very clearly, without me, ye can do nothing. This power being inside of us, some have called this positional truth. Maybe you've heard that lingo there. It's about your position in Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ lives in you. And church family, truly, positional truth, if you do not understand your position in Christ, it is it is like living the Christian life in bondage. Positional truth is incredibly freeing. Because when you begin to understand who I am in Christ, I begin to have hope. And if I don't know who I'm in Christ, I don't have hope. Because in our fallen flesh, we will fail every time. If it is up to me in living the Christian life, my fallen nature, my fallen flesh, my propensity to anger, my propensity to pride, my propensity to lust, my, whatever it is, if it's left up to me, I will fail every single time. And that is why men caught, or and when I say men, I mean in general, men and women, when caught in a cycle of sin, if not understanding the freedom that comes from Christ, it can be incredibly debilitating and, and oftentimes uh, you'll find believers just throwing in the hat and saying it's not worth it. I can't keep up with it because they don't understand the fact that Christ lives inside of them. When we discover positional truth, it unlocks the inner power and the victory that is in me, meaning Christ. And I think probably most of you are tracking with me. Okay, yes, I've heard, I've heard this truth. Keep in mind, digging deeper will never produce more power. Because all I discover when I dig deeper in me is more of me which is just more of the same problem, and it's never more of the solution. So the truth of John 15, the power that flows, is because Christ lives in me. So in other words, if you are constantly plagued with pride, Christ in me is humility. If someone is struggling with bitterness, Christ in me is full forgiveness. 
If failing in lust, Christ in me is purity. Plagued by fear of man, Christ in me is rest and security and, and approval. Racked by fear, Christ who is in me is fearless. The solution for every one of my needs is Christ who lives inside of me. Now, uh, Jim Van Gelder's been here, and I'm sure he's preached on this. I'm sure your pastor has preached on this. Truthfully, church family, the understanding your identity of who Christ is in me, I now no longer stand before God based upon my own merit. Amen. I stand before God the Father on Christ's merit because he's inside of me. And so that is why I have been declared righteous. That is why I am loved unconditionally. And so when it comes to positional power, the fact that he says to me, I am in you, that is shouting grounds. But John 15 is, if, if we focus on only the positional truth that Christ lives in me, we are missing half of what John 15 is all about. See, John 15 is not about, hey, here's a new battery pack. John 15 is saying, I have power. It's me living inside of you, but I've commanded you, since I live in you and have all this power, I want you to relation with me. That is the call to abide. Abide, uh, the, the, the Greek word meno, if I was to try to define it for you in English, it wouldn't necessarily be helpful. The Greek word, the Greek definition is to, re to remain or to stay in a place. But it's like, well, well, how do I do that with a person? And so be because of that difficulty of trying to understand, when Jesus tells me he's in me, so I'm supposed to abide in him, we're often looking for like a picture, like what does that look like? But I actually think abiding is far simpler than we realize. In 1 John, the same Greek word is used over and over and over again. I think it's the most used Greek word in 1 John. It's a constant message of 1 John. And in 1 John, this same word for abide is translated in 1 John as fellowship. Because Jesus is trying to help us see that positional truth, is, the, the power of positional truth is the fact that you can have a relationship with me. Both together is where the Christian life is meant to be lived. If you are trying to live your Christian life just focusing on the fact, well, he's in me, but you never take time to actually walk and talk with him, it will run stale. But if someone is trying to have a relationship with a person that they don't realize that actually lives inside of them, they'll constantly be grasping at straws. And what John 15 is all about is the fact that I live in you, so let's have a relationship. That's as simple as what abiding really means. In my life, I've often complicated abiding far too much. And as I began thinking through this concept, trying to understand if it really means a relationship, what does it mean? Uh, I was preaching at a church in Ohio on this text, and I used an illustration that I had never used before. And it was, I was kind of stepping out on a limb to use it fresh, not knowing how it was going to go. But I thought, I'm going to take a gamble on this one and see if it plays out. So the pastor, he was sitting on stage as I was preaching, and his son was sitting right about where Walter is. And so I called his son up to the stage, and I said, okay. And his son's name was Caleb, and I said, Caleb, I wanna, I'm going to give you a command, and I want you to obey the command to the best of your understanding. I think he's 19-year-old, so he's mature in his understanding, at least to a point. <laughs> uh, and so he's thinking to himself, I said, okay, so here's the command, uh, Caleb. I said, I want you to abide in the pews. Okay, so what would you have done? So this is what Caleb did. He, he came over here and 
and, and he sat down. I said, okay, all right, good, Caleb. Uh, I want you to abide on the stage. And so he did that, and he, and he came up here. I said, good, you're, this is good, you're getting it. I said, Caleb, abide in the choir loft. And so he moved up to the choir loft, and I said, okay, that's great, come on down here, abide in the chair. He sits in the chair, and his dad is standing right here, and I asked his father to stand up, and I said, okay, Caleb, I want you to abide in your dad. And you can see the wheels turning, and I'm sitting there thinking, I hope this works, I hope this works. And he walks over to his dad, comes up to his dad, and instinctively, because he can't sit on his dad, he just instinctively put his arm around his dad. And it was like, that's exactly right. Perfect. So do you realize what Caleb just did? He actually helped us realize that abiding is far less complicated because truthfully, intrinsically, the command to abide is relational. It, that's, that's all Christ is calling for. When I say all, I don't mean that is to say lesser, but I'm saying that's something you and I know how to do. Do we understand what it means to have a relationship with someone? Certainly in the physical realm, if, if a young man came to you and said, yeah, I'm in a relationship with a girl, you wouldn't come to that young man and you say, now, now what does that look like? Well, how do you do that? What exactly does that mean? No, when, they, when a young man says, I'm in a relationship with a young girl, you know what that means. Because every relationship is built on the exact same two qualities communication, and time. That's how all relationships are built. If I'm going to have a relationship with someone, I talk with them, I communicate with them, and I spend time with them. Maybe that's over FaceTime, maybe that's via text, uh, maybe that's on Skype, it's in person. Uh, I'm going to spend time with them maybe in the car, or I'm going to spend time with them uh, in my house, sitting on the couch, going fishing. Uh, but all relationships are built on the exact same two foundations, and that's all Christ is calling for us. He is saying, look, I, the Lord of the universe, live inside of you, so let's have fellowship together. So his command, his call to you is, let's talk. Would you and your spouse ever try to build a 50-year marriage relationship without communication and time? It wouldn't work. And too often we come to the Christian life and we say, man, I really want Jesus to work through me and I want his power here. And yet we're not willing to take the time to just get alone with him and communicate with him and spend time with him. So my challenge to us tonight is this. Christ is calling to us. He's inviting us. He is calling to us that we would spend a relationship with him, not just in the moments that are, are pleasant, but in all moments. Maybe you can think back to the early days when you and your uh, spouse were just getting into that relationship. You guys talked about, uh, well, maybe when the relationship first started out, you, you talked about, uh, so what things do you like and what things do you like? And what are your hobbies and what's your favorite color? And where do you like to go uh, out to eat? And, the, and what kind of styling do you like in your clothes? You talked about the basics. And, but as the relationship developed and progressed, you'd spend more time together. And then it started to go deeper. And, and if the relationship is going to go really deep, you're no longer talking just about your victories and your good days, but you start talking about your frustrating days and your failures and, and how you felt so weak. And in fact, a relationship can never go deep until someone is willing to be vulnerable enough to talk about their failures and their weaknesses. 
I am of the spouses in this room, I'm probably one, if not the youngest, uh, of the marriage relationships. I've been married for five years, so I don't know. Maybe you guys are, and I are similar uh, in that. You guys have been married three? Okay, so you're the youngest, and I'm the second youngest. So I'm probably, I probably don't have much to teach you about relationships, but I think all of us understand if ever there's a blockage in our marriage, it's because someone's refusing to be vulnerable. Could I say in the same way, church family, if there is a blockage in my relationship, in my abiding with the Lord, it's often because I don't want to be vulnerable. Or I'm afraid that if I actually just tell him my frustrations, my irritations, my weaknesses, then somehow he'll be disappointed with me. Like maybe he doesn't know that already. And I am convinced, church family, that just like a human relationship begins to go deep when someone unbears everything, so in the exact same way, what Christ is calling to us to do is he is saying, let us relation together, let us fellowship together on everything. Bear your heart with me. Talk candidly about everything. Can I ask you this, friends? Do you speak candidly with Christ? I was watching a uh, documentary recently by a man named Harold Vaughn. I don't know if anybody would know, recognize that name. He, he does a prayer advance here on the East Coast. Oh, he's preached here. Okay, I had great appreciation for Harold Vaughn. Recently, he's put a video out. I don't know if you've seen it, Pastor. Uh, it's called Revival, where he has traveled over to uh, Ireland and maybe even to Scotland some, and he's p- interviewing these different pastors who know a great history about the, re- about the revival. But at the very beginning of his video, which I think it's on Vimeo, uh, V-I-M-E-O, I think it's on Vimeo if you want to watch it. Very, very stirring. Uh, but anyways... At the very beginning of his, his interview, he begins to tell a story about his early years in ministry. He says, you know, I got, I got saved and God called me to preach. And so I went off to Bible college. And while I was in Bible college, I knew God would call me to be an evangelist. And so I started dating my wife and I told her, we're going to, uh, when, when we get married, I'm going to be an evangelist. And she agreed. She wanted to follow that path. And so sure enough, they graduate and they launch out into ministry and they start traveling. And they're two years in. And he said, one morning, I'd come to the end of my rope. Two years in, I got out of bed that morning, slammed the hotel door, walked out, and took a long time alone because I couldn't take any longer. And by his testimony, he came outside with the Lord, and this is what he did. He finally said, Lord, if this is all there is to Christianity, you can have it. He said, I was just fed up. I was dry. I was empty, I'd run out of gas, and I told the Lord, I mean, we just stood toe-to-toe, man-to-man, and I told him, we're just, I'm done with this if that's all there is. And he said in his testimony, he said, one thing that taught me that day is, you can be very candid with Jesus. You can have a very real relationship with Jesus. Do you realize, church family, that well, okay, let me, let me finish that story because someone told me I, I leave cliffhangers and I don't finish my stories. Okay, so finish that story is uh, as he began just, just shooting straight with the Lord and, and just having a point-blank conversation with him, the Spirit of God oh so wooingly began to draw and by the end of that prayer time, God had so lifted his soul and so comforted in him, the flooding of, the joy of Jesus flooded back into his soul and he began to realize Oh, there's more of Jesus than I've been experiencing. And that was a turning point in his life. But may I, may, I, may I mention this to us, church family? Do you ever feel fearful with being fully candid with your emotions with Jesus? Because if you are, you're not able yet to experience full abiding. If you read through the Psalms, do you realize how many of the Psalms are 
very raw, agonizing outbursts to the Lord. There's some psalms where the psalmist starts it and saying, man, blessed is your name. You are wonderful and things are bad around me, but oh, my soul is glorying in the Lord. They start in rejoicing. They end in rejoicing. There's other psalms where the psalmist is saying, man, everything is bad and everything is falling apart, but oh, my soul, concentrate on the Lord and, and, and turn your eyes to the Lord and, and at least the psalm ends on a, you know, a major chord. It ends on a positive note. But you know, there's some psalms that never turn positive where the psalmist just pours out his heart and says, Lord, I feel like you've forgotten me. The wicked are prospering and your people, it feels like you're judging your people. God, what are you doing? My foot's slipping, and I can't take it any longer. And the psalm stops, and it doesn't resolve, and you're like, wow, he's having a bad attitude. Actually, he's abiding. Under inspiration, God allowed us to see into the heart of a man who just talked with God. I am convinced, church family, that abiding is supposed to be all day long, just me and Jesus having a conversation. Uh, just recently, well, this summer, okay, let me, let me back up. Uh, two years ago, the Lord uh, provided a way for my wife and I to purchase a, a fifth-wheel trailer and a pickup truck. And uh, I, I don't have time to tell the story of it tonight, but truly the story is utterly remarkable. I mean, just, it amazes me. Pastor, you told me that your house story today. It's one of those where it's just like God puts the pieces together. It's amazing. We bought the a trailer is a 2017 Forest River Sandpiper. So it wasn't brand new to us, but it was a, a newer trailer, a 40-foot fifth wheel. And we are so grateful for our trailer. Uh, and it was in great condition. The owners of Forest handled it very well. We have tried very hard to be very careful with it. Our truck, we actually ordered uh, from the Ford factory. And so we bought a brand new 2022 F-350. And the Lord provided the money to pay for it with cash. I'm telling you, the story is amazing. So as a young man, it would not seem that I would have that kind of a money, but my father does. And he, and he just miraculously. So I have babied that truck and I've babied that trailer. And I will wash that truck and vacuum that truck at least once a month. Usually I'm washing it every two weeks because I am, I keep thinking you know, a resale value or a trade-in value. Maybe every two years I'll trade in. I'm constantly thinking about trying to make sure I just, I, Gilbert, Gilbert, I'm going, no, 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 don't climb up that way. You got, your boots are, you know, dirty. We don't want to scratch it. And, and it, one time he came up to me and said, Dad, I didn't climb over the sides because I had dirty boots. I climbed over the bumper. I said, okay, that's good, boy. You're, you're learning. And I felt so bad. One day he was riding his bike and he, I don't know what happened, but he ran right into the bumper. And he starts crying, and the first thing he says, I'm so sorry, Dad, I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh, no, buddy, that's okay. Don't worry about the truck. I, you know, broke my heart that he was worried about the truck. But anyways, I have babied this truck, right? So I get to a church, arrive at a church, and we pull in, and the pastor says, oh, yeah, that's a great spot to park, and okay, we're going to park right here. So I drop the tailgate of the truck. If you know how fifth wheels work, they stick out over your, the bed of your truck. I drop the tailgate of the truck, and I'm working on prepping things and pulling cords out, and I'm running out my electric cords, and I realize where he's got the hookup and where my trailer is, it's not going to get close. I, I've got to turn the trailer around and back it in, and that's the only way I'm going to get it. And so I'm kind of in a hurry, and, and I forget the tailgate's still down, and I run up, and I jump into the truck, and I pull into drive, and I start turning, and I'm hearing this sound. I'm thinking, why is that sound? And my wife was outside, and all of a sudden she's like, Caleb, stop! And I said, watch, she's like, the tailgate's down. <laughs> no. And I go back out there, and sure enough, I drove the tailgate right into the front of the trailer, and it drove it into the fiberglass. And I'm, you know, just, 
and I don't, I'm not, I don't want to have a, you know, a hissy fit, and I don't want to speak four-letter words, I don't want to go there, but I'm, internally I'm just, oh, and you, you track with me? And so I'm just quiet, trying to work on self-control. Close the tailgate, bring it all around, and my wife knows to just not say anything. <laughs> and I unhook the trailer, and the whole time I'm trying to breathe deep, and I'm, I'm frustrated. And I'm thinking, well, the tailgate's not damaged very much, and Lord, we're going to trust you with this one. But it took me about half an hour before I was willing to say that. So that was in May. No, excuse me, that was in August. So fast forward now to the beginning of October, and I'm at a church in Illinois. Same thing. Dro I know, isn't that amazing? I'm a, I'm a numbskull. I dropped the tailgate. I realize we're not in the right position. I've got to turn it around, and I put it into drive, and I start hearing the faintest noise of the sound, and I slam on the brakes, and I put it into part, and I go back there, and it was just starting to drive in again, and all that emotion starts surging in there, and I did something that I've never done before. And it was like the Lord unlocked something in my thinking. At that moment, I'm frustrated. And I, because I had just contacted a dealership about what it was going to take for me to trade in and, and stay in new and all this kind of stuff. So I'm thinking about preserving the pristineness of this truck. And as I walked out and saw the tailgate wedged into the front of my trailer, I'd never done this before. I said, Lord, Right out loud, Lord, I did not want that to happen. That really bothers me. Father, that, I don't know how I did that. Lord, you got to help me. Lord, you knew about this. You allowed it. And I want to trust you. And as I walked away from there, it's like the pressure in my soul. I didn't have to wait two hours for it to dissipate. It was gone. And as God began to teach me, Caleb, that's what abiding is. You and I, I'm watching you. And I know what you need, God. Let's talk. Don't come to me when you feel you're now forgivable. Don't come to me when you've got your emotions under control so now we can have a good conversation. No, just talk with me. I gave that illustration last week at a youth summit. And a young man came up to me. And he said, you know, the sweetest times, he said, I work uh, construction. He said, the sweetest times I've ever had with Jesus was up on a roof when I hit my thumb with my hammer. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he says, I did that exact same thing. Lord, that really hurt. Oh, Lord, I'm frustrated. I'd like to say a four-letter word. Lord, thanks it's not broken. <laughs> he said, I just talked with him. And it's like the Lord began to unlock to me, yes, is not Christianity meant to be that real? Is it not meant to be that practical? He says, hey, I abide in you, so abide in me. Let's just have a relationship. Let me ask you this. How does Jesus abide in me? He never leaves. He never stops listening. He's always there. He's the proverbial fly on a wall, right? He's always there for everything. So let us not abide in him in the same way. Never stop the communication. 
always listening and always talking. And so truly, church family, abiding intrinsically is relational. Jesus is saying, put your arm around me, my arms around you, and let us talk. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, if you try to live outside of me, that's foolish. No more can ye except you abide in me. Uh, if, if, if my, we, so because we travel and we're in a new state or a new place every week, we have no home other than our trailer. We have no garden. Uh, so imagine with me if, if my little Gilbert comes up to me and says, Daddy, that church had an apple tree, and so I cut down a branch to bring with us in my room so I can have apples for the rest of the season. No father would be like, great idea. <laughs> no, we'd all say, Sonny, that's not going to work because it's not connected. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Hey, why do you wonder when Christianity isn't working? You're not connected. Communicate with me. Can I ask you, church family, if you could put a ratio, or if you could put a percentage on how much of your day is spent in communication. Now, I'm not saying that you need to every living moment be talking with him as much as every concern that comes across your path. You're talking to the Lord about that. And when that guy cuts you off in track and, fl and flips the bird, you're talking to the Lord about your frustration and, and you're just talking about it. And when the fear begins to come into your soul because you realize the diesel prices are now $4.50, you talk to the Lord about it. I I'm saying, church family, uh, just as real as you talk with your spouse, spend the same relationship with Jesus. Now, if you don't have that kind of real relationship with your spouse, it may be because you don't have that real relationship with Jesus because they do, they, the two of them aren't connected. But Jesus says, uh, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. It's a very simple pathway. Verse 5, I am the vine and ye are the branches. I take great comfort in that. Branches were never called to bear fruit of their own. He's saying, remember your place. I'm the one that life flows from. And you're the branch. And it's okay to just be a branch. So be a branch and stay connected to me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. So what is your responsibility? He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. What he is saying in verse 5 is, when a man begins relationing with the Lord, when a man begins to spend that fellowshipping time with the Lord, it is only natural that fruit would flow. I think we all know this. No tree agonizes to bear fruit. It just comes naturally, right? We understand that. And so in the same way, church family, if you and I are constantly living like this, I got to bear fruit. I got to have something that looks like fruit. I got to work on fruit. It's not going to be fruit. But when we go back to, I want to just walk with Jesus today, what flows? The fruit of Jesus. What is fruit that he is referring to? If I can put it this way, uh, fruit in a believer's life is regular expressions of Jesus. It is Jesus poking out of me. One person put it this way, if God is that big and I'm this little, little when, you poke, or when you push a big God into little old me, it's going to poke out somewhere. That is the idea. It's Jesus just, it's, it's just like sweat comes out of your pores. It's just Jesus flowing from you. 
you might not even be aware of it. You might not be thinking, okay, I'm pretty sure fruit's flowing right now, as much as it's a regular expression of the man you have now become because you've been spending so much time with him. One man put it this way, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, uh, but he said something to the effect of, no man that carries the spirit of Christ thinks about the fact that he carries the spirit of Christ. If there is someone in your life that when they walk into the room, it's like the love of Jesus just flows in. I guarantee you that person never walks into the room thinking, I'm flowing in the love of Jesus. No, they're just focusing on the relationship with the Lord, and without even realizing it, fruit begins to flow. So uh, uh, when, when, when Ron Hamilton wrote the song, I Saw Jesus in You, you familiar with that song? He wasn't writing cute words. He was actually helping us see what abiding looks like. You and I ought to be incarnations of Christ. It ought to be, just like the disciples saw Christ in the flesh, so today when I am abiding, I become Jesus to other people. Understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm actually, I'm actually Christ as much as the Christ in me begins flowing out of me and what Jesus would be on this earth is now flowing through me. So if I can put it this way, as an apple tree has apple fruit and as a pear tree has pear fruit and a mango tree has mango fruit, so a Jesus vine will produce through the branch Jesus fruit. So as I am abiding in him, as he and I are having that relationship, I've gotten up in the morning and I've got my cup of coffee and I spend some time with the Lord in the morning as I've confessed and I've gloried in him and I've yielded to him and I've listened to him and I've spoken to him and I get out in the truck and I'm talking with him as I go to work and I'm talking with him at my lunch break and then when someone calls and says that order's been canceled, instead of getting mad, I talk to the Lord about, this. Lord, this is going to back us up. We're not going to be able to finish this order for this customer. And as I abide with him, what's going to end up flowing out of me is fruit that just looks a lot like Jesus. So the touch, when I come to church and there's someone who's hurting, the Jesus who lives inside of me as I have been abiding in him is going to flow, and the touch that I put on the man's shoulder will end up being the same touch Jesus would have put on that shoulder. And the check that I would have written out to help a hurting family is exactly what Christ would have done because now what is flowing from me is physical expressions of Christ. So could I ask you, friends, are you characterized by Jesus' fruit? He who was gentle and lowly. He who cared for the widows and the orphans. He who did not speak when reviled against. He who was gentle and kind. He who was a servant. He who was a leader. He who was a protector. He who was a man willing to stand for truth. He who was tender and compassionate. Does that mark our lives? Because to the man and the woman who abides, it flows from us. He says there in verse 5, for without me, ye can do nothing. That could seem very discouraging. Actually, that's just reality. And so that's why he's giving us the very encouraging messages. I live in you. So let's talk so I may flow. Look at verse 6, if you would, with me. Verse 6 is the tragic experience when a branch refuses to abide. If a man abide not in me, if a man has no relationship with me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. 
and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I mentioned this briefly last night, but clearly what verse 6 is, is not talking about is it's not talking about hell. It is not saying that if a branch ceases to bear fruit, well, then it was never a branch, and so we burn it and send it to hell. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is, if a branch that was once in me, but if it will not abide, fruit doesn't grow, it withers, and it dies, and the only thing that branch is now useful for is to be burned in the fire, and all that is ends up being is just smoke and ashes. That's a tragedy, church family. The greatest tragedy of the Christian life is not to die young. The greatest tragedy of a Christian life is to have been saved, to live for 75 years, have a great retirement, a nest egg, and die without ever having abided. That's the greatest tragedy. Church family, today when men in the church are grateful for their salvation but don't know the abiding relationship, it creates a lot of death in the church. It creates a lot of messiness in the church. It is a tragic situation. In 2004, if I have my, excuse me, 2003, in April of 2003, some of you would remember this, uh, this story that hit the, the news and the front page headlines. A man by the name of Aaron Ralstrom was hiking in the northwest region, uh, excuse me, uh, southwest region of Utah in what is called the Blue John Canyon. Aaron was 27 years old. He was an experienced hiker. And this one particular day, he went to the canyon. He'd been there multiple times, and he went there on his own. And as Aaron was, uh, had hiked up a, a very steep terrain, was working through the top, he was jumping over a crevasse, and as he leapt, the, 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 the boulder that he jumped off of dislodged, and he lost his footing, and he plummeted down the crevasse, and as he was falling, the boulder that he had dislodged, weighing nearly half a ton, wedged his arm between the V-shaped canyon there, and so as his body finally landed, the rock landed with him and wedged his hand between the wall and the rock. And as he woke up there, he realized he was pinned. Some of you remember this story. Being pinned there, he tried to pull his hand away and he couldn't. Damaged and hurt, trying to get his mind together. He's looking for any way out. And so he pulled his backpack off and pulled out his pocket knife and began trying to chip away at, at any fissure or, or crack in the rock that he could remove something enough to, to get some pressure relief and he'd get his hand out. He worked at it all day couldn't uh, release his hand, and the first night came. The next morning, he's, he's starting to think about the reality of what will happen if, if he's not found there, and day two would go by. No hikers have gone by. He's been there alone now two days. He's getting near the end of his food and water supply of his backpack, and by three days in, he's beginning to consider the worst. He pulls his camcorder out of his backpack and, and props it up on the rock that's pinning him and flips the camera around so he can begin recording messages of himself. And he starts making recordings back to his parents, knowing that if someone finds my body, I want them to at least have this camera and know what happened. And so he begins recording, hey, mom and dad, this is Aaron. It's what, April whatever, 2003, and here I am, and this is what happened, and I love you, and 
wish it hadn't happened this way, and he'd end the recording. Then maybe start another recording, send another message to his parents. And after four days, he's run out of food, he's run out of water, he's even gone to the point where he's drunk his own urine, and, and you can only do that so many times before it turns poisonous to your own body. And, and he's running out of time, and after five days, he can't take it any longer. But the will to live presses him to do what is unthinkable. Taking out that knife that is now dulled from the chipping away, he literally severs his arm from his hand. A process that is far more gruesome than maybe we should explain in, in this auditorium, but a very, very painful process. In fact, he passed out in the middle of it because of the pain and coming to to finish off the job. Now in that position, he have his bloodied stump. He puts a, a homemade tourniquet out of, on his hand. And now a week after five days without proper nourishment and water, he climbs out of that canyon, rappels down an 80-foot cliff, and is trying to hike his way out before he loses strength from loss of blood. He hikes several miles when a family coming into the canyon meets him, and they're there able to get word out, and he's, uh, a helicopter is coming, he's hell of uh, he's a... Uh, medevaced out of there with the helicopter and later some people go back in and they find his hand and actually brought it out of the canyon but it was far too late it would never be reconnected and for the rest of his life he has to have a an attachment to it and what you would say is it's difficult it's painful it's messy why because it got disconnected May I put it this way, church family? So it is also when men and women in our church are not willing to get alone with the Lord and say, Father, I've got needs. Father, I'm struggling. Father, I've got to have you. Lord, if this is all I know to life, then, then, then I'm not experiencing enough. Lord, I want to meet with you. And as God begins meeting with men and with women, he begins restoring relationships and restoring marriages and he heals the, the divisions in a church and he heals the heartaches of people. But oh, how many times have men got content with being disconnected from the vine? And Jesus says, though you may have a good life and though you may have made money, your life will mean little, will mean nothing not connected to me. And, and let me conclude with this, but he because he ends on a positive note, he comes to verse 7 and he reminds us again, hey, but look at this, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. That is, that is an unprecedented promise. This is what he's saying. Hey, the man that spends time in my word and lets it just flow through him, the man who spends time with me, I begin to so remake him. You can come to the place where as you're abiding and you have my heart, you can ask what you desire and you will have it. Now, most of us look at that promise and we say, I've never experienced that. Well, the reason we've not experienced it is because we've actually not. We, well, first of all, we read that verse and we think that's too good to be true. I'm not even going to try it because I don't want to be disappointed. But to the man that looks at that passage and says, Lord, if that is true, then would you teach me to abide? For I want to bear fruit. I want to see your power in prayer. And as he says in verse 8, herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciple. To the man that says, Father, I long to be your disciple. Father, I long to see your fruit. 
But Father, I long to know you, that to that man and to that woman. Jesus is saying, so let us abide. May I challenge us, church family, what does it mean to abide? It's as simple as a relationship with Christ. He who is in me and his word is in me, let us abide in him and be called his disciples who bear fruit. May I ask you to bow your heads with me here tonight and close your eyes? Friends, our schedule and our flesh is constantly fighting for our time. It is that way for all of us. It doesn't matter if you are in business or if you're retired, if you're a young man or if you're old. Our flesh always is going to find something else, preacher included. Our flesh will always find something else that we can spend time on unless we make a decisive, purposeful decision. Lord, I want to take time with you. And as we would do that, and as the Spirit of God begins to woo and nourish our soul, oh, the fruit of Christ begins to flow. Maybe this evening you would say, Lord, I'm afraid that there's far too much of me that comes out. When pressed into a corner, it's a lot of flesh that flows. Lord, I long to have Jesus' fruit. Lord, I long for your grace to touch our home. Lord, it's been a long time since I've spent time with you. Or, or maybe you say, Father, I've gotten distracted. Or maybe you say, Lord, I, I talk to you about my victories, but I don't ever talk to you about my failures. But tonight, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if the Spirit of God has spoken to you, would you say, Lord, teach me to abide? Can I ask you to stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed? The piano is going to play. And would you come this evening, as God has spoken to you, would you come before him and lay out your heart's desire? You can be candid. And you can be raw. He already knows it, but he longs for you and him to fellowship in that manner.